Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and every Thursday, we release these special episodes that we're calling Classic Risk Singles. Each of these episodes features just one story from our earlier years. If you're new to Risk, you should know that the podcast can be very uncensored. This week, we're going to look back at a truly unforgettable story. You know, the people who come on to risk to share their stories with us, all of them become a part of the risk family in our minds and hearts. We on the risk team, we get to spend several weeks a couple months at most, you know, getting to know these people and workshopping their stories with them. And it's intense. It's so moving to have people share such intimate stuff with us. And as time goes by, of course, some of these people who have shared stories on the show pass away. And so it's with tremendous sadness that... We're observing this week the death of Emily Reese. She shared this story the first time that Risk appeared in Reno, Nevada. The episode ran in April of 2014. It was just such an unforgettable moment. She made such an impression on me and on the team and on the audience when we first ran this story on the podcast. So we know a lot of Risk listeners in Reno are mourning the loss of Emily this week. We're actually returning to Reno on March 13th, so 
be great to give some hugs to folks there on March 13th to, you know, raise a glass to Emily. Anyway, a wonderful way to remember Emily is by her own words, her own storytelling. So here she is now with a story we call Revelation. So uh, growing up in the Midwest, in a fundamentalist Christian home, I didn't really know what the word fundamentalist meant at the time, but um, it was a good life. One of the things that I knew was that God loved me. And I knew that I wanted to be able to understand unconditional love because I knew he loved me that way. And I prayed a lot when I was little and in my teens and and in my adult years that I would understand what it means to love unconditionally. So I had a great childhood. My parents were very traditional. It's kind of a Ward and June Cleaver thing, but they were good parents. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. My, my sister and I had a great childhood, and we were practical people. That's a, that's a term that often describes my parents, and they describe themselves that way. So I went off to college. I had a little bit of a rebellious stage in there, but, um, but I still knew what I wanted in life. I wanted to grow up in a Christian home, which I did, and I wanted to get married to a Christian man, and I wanted to raise kids in a Christian home, and I wanted to be a submissive wife, and I wanted to him to be the head of the household, and it was going to be perfect picket fence, June Cleaver awesomeness. Okay? And I knew this was going to happen, right? But once I went away to college, had a little bit of rebellion, and that's okay. Everybody does that, right? So I'm more than most. And, uh, but it led me to meeting Devin. Devin and I met at Applebee's. I don't know if anyone's ever served tables at Applebee's, but the term is Apple Buddies, and it's the dumbest term I've ever heard. And I, we, we used to say it with pride, and we'd have our little flare on us, and oh, God, it was pathetic. So, so here we are, Apple Buddies, and we're going out on our first date. And he held my hand. It was a movie. I think it was Batman. It was one with... with Keaton, I believe. Yeah, one of the better ones, right? Mr. Mom. So, <laughs> so, but I, I held his hand and it was, I, it was flutterpating, right? <laughs> you like that one? Okay. And um, it was fun. It was nice. And we're driving down a main huge street of Kansas City. We're heading to the Twisted Lizard to meet our Apple buddies, okay? And we stopped. We were first in line. The light had just turned red. And we were stopped, and I was in the passenger seat, and, and he threw the car into park. And he jumped out of the freaking car. And the first thought that went through my head was, if he thinks I'm going to do a goddamn Chinese fire drill, he's done. Dunsville, I'm out of here. But what he did is he ran across the street and he threw money at this dude and he grabbed a rose and he ran back into the car and handed it to me. And the first thing I thought 
was that I'm going to have this guy's babies. <laughs> so, our wedding was beautiful. <laughs> One of the things that I hate to do is cry, okay? And I do everything in my power to keep myself from doing that. And I knew that I was going to cry on my goddamn wedding day. And so I'm walking, I'm, I've got my dad, and of course he's awesome. I love my dad. I turn the corner and I'm thinking, I don't want to cry, I don't want to cry. And I look up, and Devin is bawling like the biggest baby I have ever seen in my life. And I was so glad it was him and not me. <laughs> and I decided that I knew that he loved me. And I was beaming from ear to ear. And I knew we were going to have that life. That picket fence, that Christian life, that one where he is the head of the household and I'm that submissive wife. And I knew that was going to happen. And it did. We had a great marriage. Before kids, we had a lot of fun. We joined a church, of course, and we led Bible studies even. We were pretty well versed in, in scripture. It was a fundamentalist Bible teaching church. And we had a kid, and he went through law school, and we moved back to Reno where his hometown is. Got involved in another church, and he, he actually kind of got really involved in church, in fact, into leadership, and he was a lay youth pastor, and I was helping out with the kids. It was literally, I'm not kidding you, the perfect kind of scenario for people who are Christians. One of the things that, as a submissive wife, scripturally, you generally look to the man to make the decisions. And I was okay with that because I didn't want to have the responsibility when things got fucked up. <laughs> and so, so I justified it biblically, though. I mean, this even includes things like finances. I had nothing to do with finances, nothing. I spent the money, but, but he made the money. And he was ultimately, in Scripture, just generally, the man is the one that's going to be held responsible at the judgment for their family. So I let him lead. And he was a good leader, but I willingly stepped back and wanted nothing to do with our finances. So making decisions, we often had to discuss things like that. But when Devin wanted something, it generally happened because he was the man. And if I wanted something, I had to ask he didn't tell me I had to ask, but that's what I felt like I needed to do. And we would have discussions, and sometimes I'd get what I wanted, and sometimes I didn't, and I just had to accept that. So, things are going well, and things started not going so well. I had this intuition. Women, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the one that we think we have, and then we think we're crazy, and that just can't be possible, right? So... I started thinking that maybe he's not happy and maybe he's cheating on me and I don't really know why I'm thinking this because he doesn't seem like that kind of guy. So I asked him and he completely assured me, put his loving arms around me and gave me a big old kiss and sent me flowers that day and I was okay with that. And then things started going kind of wrong financially for us. And just, it just wasn't working right. Like, for instance, Devin did like to gamble. He made the money, though, and he made big money. 
we shouldn't have had any financial problems. But I was okay with him gambling because he made the money and I'm going to be okay with what he decides. So I let it go. And this happiness, this idea of the things aren't going very well just kept nagging at me. And we used to sit on the side of the tub a couple times a week, and the kids would be downstairs watching movies, Spongebob or whatever. Oh, wait, we wouldn't have let them watch Spongebob at that time because that is not a very Christian show. It was probably VeggieTales. So so they're, they're watching VeggieTales. Of course, I'm sure. I'm sure, sure they are. <laughs> Do you know that, VeggieTales? VeggieTales, VeggieTales. I know all of them by heart. Okay, so we're sitting on the edge of the tub, soaking our feet. It was a nice ritual for us. And I said to Devin, I said, you just don't seem happy. And, and I, I don't know what's going on. Because he was really kind of spent a lot of time away from home, too. And, and he got very defensive, which was pretty typical for him. And instead of reacting lovingly to my honest question, he said, I am happy. Apparently, you aren't happy, and that is not my problem. There are a million other women, if you're not happy, who would love to have me as a husband. And I couldn't believe it because I was really wanting to share my heart with him. And what he was doing is he was calling me crazy. And that really sucked because I always looked to him to lead. And I felt like I was being pushed away, and I actually thought, maybe I am going crazy. So, that did not end very well, but, and he never apologized, by the way. That's not usually his forte, although he, we'll talk about that later. So, essentially what ended up happening is financially it got worse. And one of my friends said, you know what, Emily, you probably ought to check your bank account. And I was mortified and embarrassed because I didn't even know how to get online and look at our bank account. I had no freaking clue how much money we had, what was going out. I didn't even know how to do it. So, it's a Sunday. Devin was at a tennis tournament. He'd been going to a lot of tennis tournaments and various things with some friends he had met that I didn't know. And he kind of didn't want me to know them. And they would go camping and they would go um, shooting guns. First of all, if any of you know Devin, that's the most ridiculous freaking thing you have ever heard. And I could not believe he wanted to go shoot guns. And he was happy about it. And I said, I've always wanted to shoot a gun. Why can't I go? And he said, it's not like that. No one brings their wives or their girlfriends. And I wanted him to be happy because he hadn't been happy. And so I let it go. So here we are Sunday. He's coming home from a tennis tournament. And that intuition in the back of my head is like, God damn it, I'm just going to get online. And it was scary for me, honestly. Pathetically scary. And I got on. And the neon signs and the slaps in the face that were coming off that computer right into my heart were unreal. Essentially, by the end of all of my figuring and scratching through paper because I was so pissed, there was $9,000 of unaccounted for cash gone within three months. 
No clue where it went. To top it off, there were credit card deposits, not a whole bunch, but big numbers, into our account to cover for that missing cash. Think about the interest rates. We had supposedly paid off our credit cards. Did I know that? No, because I was willingly ignorant. But the one thing that caught my eye the most on top of all of that, besides just feeling so naive, it's just, I felt really stupid. There was one charge, and it was at Boomtown. And it looked like a room, because I, pretty, I was pretty sure that day on that charge, he was out of town. And so I called him. Oh, hell yeah, you're cheating on me. You need to get home, Devin. There's some things going on in our account, and I am not going to listen to any excuse. You will come clean. We need to talk about this. And this charge, Devin, you're cheating on me. And like I said before, he's normally very defensive. But he wasn't. And that was weird. He said, you're right. We need to talk. But we can't talk right now. Why not? Well, Felipe's in the car with me. And I said, oh, right. The guy who always gets to go with you for everything. And he always leave me at home. I didn't say that. I was thinking it. But it didn't really make me pause for too long. And he said, I'll be home in an hour. And I said, yes, you will. And hung up the phone. So as you imagine, and I don't want to... I don't want to say females always do this because I don't like that kind of stuff, but you know the spinning girls that go and you just, you can't stop and it just back, it just goes in on itself and you, you self-destruct really at, this, at some point. Three hours later, he walked in the door. I couldn't even see straight. I couldn't talk to him, couldn't look at him. I'm dusting with some sort of, <laughs> I probably pledge on glass, which sucks, right? And I didn't even care. I didn't even care. I didn't care. And the girl, the kids, they go, Daddy, Daddy, how'd you attend a sermon? And he acted very morose. And I turned around and I saw his eyes and they were swollen and red. And he had been crying. Kind of like on our wedding day, what he looked like, but it wasn't a happy one. So I didn't want to break the silence. Finally, he said to me, he said, I'm sorry I wasn't here. I was at my mom's. Now that was not a very good answer because he's a mama's boy and that pissed me off. And he's not married to his mom. He is married to me. Why the hell was he at his mom's? I just said, what, what does she have to do with this? I, I we need to talk. And he said, we do. Let me call my mom and have her come over and take the kids and we can talk. And I'm like, what? No, we are talking right now, right here. It has nothing to do with your mom. Let me get my um, movie on, probably another VeggieTales or some sort of, oh, I don't know, Princess Bride. Maybe that's pretty okay. <laughs> and, <laughs> and let me go, we're going to go upstairs. To my mountain of laundry, by the way, Devin, that I am always here folding for you while you are off gallivanting around. That was kind of a fun dig. I wasn't, you know, I was a Christian. I couldn't really swear too much at that point. So, and we were in front of the kids, which honestly, people, if you've ever been involved, you do not chastise your husband in front of children, their children. You just don't do that. So we go upstairs, shut the door, 
Silence again. I am taking my anger out on baby socks, Cinderella printed underwear, and all kinds of things, and I'm folding like I've never folded before. It was actually pretty kind of nice. I got done quick. And he still couldn't talk. And he said, finally, Emily, I know what you're thinking. I'm not cheating on you with another woman. And I, of course, became completely fuming because he broke the silence and that was my turn to, to have at it. And I turned to him and I said, you say you don't have a gambling problem, Devin? Obviously you've got an issue. You say you're not cheating on me with another woman. What are you, gay or something? And I was laser beam, laser beam at him. But his eyes got a spark of hope and I did not understand why. And he said, so you knew this whole time? Yeah. I don't remember exactly like how I felt. Like it's really hard to describe because when you're in that scenario and it is literally the biggest thing you've ever heard and you can't quite grasp it, I turned to the window and I was holding a green and white dish towel and I felt heat coming up back of my neck and I felt like my vision was closing in and I kind of felt like I was going to have an out-of-body experience and he sat down on the floor and started crying because he realized he had just outed himself here's what's up my coping mechanism is a change of subject, and I can't believe I did it in that moment. I turned to him and I said, why were you at your mom's? <laughs> right? <laughs> and he said, I figured I'd need a place to stay once I told you. And I uh, hadn't really thought about that, but he was probably right and that was a pretty smart move on his part <laughs> and then the floodgates opened I couldn't understand pretty much every other word maybe that he was saying but the words that I recall were suicide year and a half earlier life insurance policy didn't commit suicide because of you and the kids and I snapped too suicide my own husband a year and a half earlier, had planned his suicide, and I didn't notice one thing. Didn't even notice. And so what that did is it brought out the love that I have for him. And I went over, and I got down on the floor, and I started crying with him and hugging him, and I said, there is no reason to ever kill yourself, Devin. I love you too much. Nothing is worth that. We can get through this. I love you. And he said, I'm the deceiver. He literally called himself the deceiver. I'm a liar. And what happened in the next two hours was the most intimate time I'd ever had with my husband in all the years I knew him. I knew him because I knew all of him. All of a sudden, there were so many things I didn't know. And I loved those two hours. One of the things about intuition is 
you do sometimes doubt yourself, right? Pretty much all the time, because you think it's just intuition. But I'm wondering if subconsciously I knew that he was gay. Because why would I have asked that question? I've learned not to doubt my intuition. So those two hours were the only two hours Devin really gave me. Because once he had told what he needed to say, he felt free. And you know what? I had a burden that I had never understood that I would have to carry. It was really heavy. Because I had to make sense of everything that had happened before that moment. Was everything a lie? Everything. The curtains we bought when we were married? That's a lie. I mean, I remember literally looking at the curtains, laying next to Devin one of those times after he'd already come out, and I was like, those curtains are a lie. And he's like, I don't, I don't get that. <laughs> so, took about a year and a half. During that time, I felt like he could change, because guess what? Being gay is a sin and a choice, Right? That's what I used to think, right? And so I pictured us being up on a stage like this as a beacon of light for gay people all over the world that they could change and we could write books. And I would finally get to be, what I want to do is be on stage. <laughs> yeah, I'm on stage, but for that. But here's what happened. I tried to make it work. I tried to make him change. I tried with everything, everything I think of. But the day I let go was the day that I look back and remember those two hours we had. And I remember him telling me that I am the only woman he has ever loved. And during that year and a half, and I would think about that, I felt like it was a slap in the face. But the day that I decided that it was true was literally the day I knew I could let go. Let me gather myself for a minute. <laughs> you see, now where we are, it's been a long time. I love him, but it's different. I love Felipe, <laughs> who is his husband now. <laughs> Literally, they just got married in New York on New Year's Eve. Mm -hmm. My kids, we love all of us. We raise our family rainbow style. We call ourselves the Rainbow Family. The Reese's in their pieces. Whatever you want to call us. And here's the deal. I am no longer that submissive wife. There's no more picket fence. There's a rainbow one. There's no more June Cleaver. There's just me apart from anyone else. I didn't know who I was without him. And now I do. And I love myself.
I'm going to marry myself like Sue Sylvester did. If, if you've ever seen um, Glee, that's what I want to do. So here, here's the scoop, though. That prayer that I used to ask God to help me to understand what unconditional love is was answered. Because here's what it is, guys, and girls, and anyone else that wants to call them something, like an LGBTQ, IBCDA, whatever. <laughs> it's good. It's all good with me. Unconditional love is loving someone for who they were, who they are, and who they're going to become, regardless of what some scripture says, regardless of how uncomfortable I feel. I don't love someone to get them to be to a certain place. I love them as they are in the moment and in the future. So there's two things I want to wrap up. One is I want to thank Devin for coming out, even though I kind of caught him. (laughs) Because I wouldn't know what unconditional love is without that. And the last thing, I need to have a hand raised to see who is definitely going to Burning Man this year. Really and truly. Okay, no lie. All right, okay. Can you come up here? Yep. You're not going to have to speak. You're not going to have to speak. I'm just going to hand you something, okay? You're not going to have to speak, I promise. Okay. So, Burning Man, there's a temple there that people bring things to burn things, right? I'm not going this year. I'm actually undergoing chemo right now, so I won't be able to go. I'm going to High Sierra, though, yo. Okay. This is literally, I'm not lying to you, the dish towel that I was holding when I found out. And so if you're going to Burning Man, would you, would you promise me that you're going to burn this for me? Okay? Let's... So thank you for listening to my heart. And I love all of you unconditionally. That's all for this week's Classic Risk Singles episode. Now, don't miss out on our regular full-length episodes. There's a brand new one every Tuesday. And everything you might want to know about us is at risk-show.com.